Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8-9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazzi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today, Father Paul continues his discussion of Genesis chapter 1 with a review of verses 6 through 9. And one of the points that he raises, Richard, is the function of the Spirit. He refers to Ezekiel once again as the parent of Scripture to illustrate the point that the Spirit is a mighty wind capable of destruction. This leads him to another very important point, that the scriptural God is not our hallmark version of a papa or a dad. When the Spirit of God is upon the void, everything is under threat. The same one who has the power to destroy also has been making things functional. And Father Paul mentioned in a previous episode that bara, which we usually think of as creation, is really making something functional. When he names the firmament as the heavens, that's when it functions. So the naming implies a function. This is when it has actual existence, meaning that's when it stands out, using the Greek etymology of the word. So the naming is what gives it existence. I am very happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. In verses 6 to 8, we have the making or the creation of the firmament, the heavens. Remember, at the beginning, we have a reference to heavens and earth. But as I already said, slowly on, we shall see that is the earth on which the human being stands and lives. That is the ultimate object, and it is detailed but obviously, the residence of the scriptural God and the other gods are in heavens. And then, since the author wants to say that everything is under his control, he gives three quick verses to the heavens. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Firmament comes from the Latin firmamentum. And firma is something solid. The Hebrew is rakia. The Greek is stereoma, something solid, strong. The reason is that, as we shall see soon in the story of the flood, that the waters come from the seas and the rivers, but also it comes down as 
rain and people to imagine that since it doesn't rain all the time, what's happening there, the water that is, if you like, above this firmament is locked by something that is solid and later we shall hear in the story of the flood that the gates of that firmament, it is as though you have gates, holes, and so on, that are opened and the water comes down from above. And this is so important that the author says right from the beginning, and let it, this firmament, separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And thus everything is under control. Now, let me make an aside here, which is very important, that this word raqia, which is translated as firmament, is found several times in Genesis, right here at the beginning and only here in Genesis. And then it is found later uh, twice in Psalms. But very interestingly, it is found four times in Ezekiel chapter 1 and also one more time at the beginning of chapter 10. Now, that shows as I indicated in both my commentaries on Genesis and Ezekiel, that these two chapters are interrelated. We have the majesty of this scriptural Elohim. So again, once more, we see that Ezekiel as a book is the father or mother of scripture. Now, I pointed that out to go back to the issue of the spirit, the trouble in theology, especially orthodox theology, that is the spirit is always presented as the good guy. Remember when you were students, I would tell you, if you really believe that you are filled with the spirit, then you should be scattered and shattered because the spirit, and this is very clear from the beginning of Ezekiel and elsewhere, it is the mighty wind. It is destructive. And the waters, again, reflect that because when there is no wind, the waters are a source of life. It's good to be close to the sea. The major cities were built close to the sea or on major rivers. Water is the source of life. But the same element, it's not a different kind of water. It becomes destructive and threatening when it is agitated by winds. And this is what we're going to encounter a few chapters later in the flood. So one has to be very careful in throwing later theology in verse 2 earlier, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon it, that everything is fine. No, everything is under threat. Now, this goes hand in hand with what I mentioned last time, that the waters and the darkness are negative elements. That's why we don't hear that God made them. They were 
already there. The mission of God, his work, if you like, is to control these powers. And in this sense, he becomes the more powerful. Let's make a jump into Romans that Paul refers to the gospel as the power of God against the power of the emperor. Okay, We have to keep this in mind, friends. Otherwise, we're missing the message of the Bible by making God a kind of dad or papa, hallmark card, nice, who knocks at the door of your room and asks permission to go in and spends quality time and so on. That's not the scriptural God at all. There is absolutely no connections. Again, we notice in the book of Psalm that he is always in control. He has to be more powerful than the threatening powers in order to save you. Later, we shall find this at the beginning of the book of Exodus. He is more powerful than Pharaoh and he is more powerful than the waters. So as much as possible, we need to keep this in mind. Now, if you don't know... As I keep repeating, do not theologize. Just wait to see. Remember in my first presentation, I said in the beginning, Elohim. What is Elohim? You don't know. I don't know. It's a projection of the scriptural text. You have to read further to understand that. The same thing we have to apply when we are dealing with the waters, with the spirit, with the firmament, and so on and so forth. Notice the firmament is clarified, if you like. Or there is another reference in Ezekiel chapter 1, where at the beginning we have the mighty wind. It's a double feature. You have the mighty wind that is very mighty, Ruah Sa'ara. So let's keep this in mind. Only then we realize why in Genesis 1 it takes three days to bring about the earth, which is the world of the human being and his companions, the mammals on earth, that we shall hear will share with him the vegetation, which is also something that comes from the earth, as we shall see. On the third day, we have a lengthy passage that speaks about the appearance of the vegetation on earth. So, what shall I say? You know, Genesis 1 is like the organism, the body, you have different elements you have to take into consideration to visualize the totality and the functionality of the totality. So bear this in mind, and then we have the text saying, and God said, let's that be fervent, and let it separate. Very interesting, that verb, because it is the same verb that will be used later to speak of the action of God in separating his people, Israel, from the other nations, 
for a certain mission, which again, it's the mission to show everybody, including Israel, that there are no better than the other nations. But separate is a very powerful verb to keep in mind. He separated the waters from the waters. It's practically a divine action. And as happens in this case, we have technically a repetition, which shows you the importance. God said, let there be firmament, and God made the firmament and separated the waters. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. You see here that the heavens come around as an express action of God, which parallels his action of creating the light and soon of creating the earth in opposition with the waters. So keep this in mind. And notice again something more. We have the calling, the naming of the firmament. Earlier, he named the light day and he named the darkness night. Here he names the firmament. He gives it existence in the real sense to stand out. Forget about the creation ex nihilo. There is no ex nihilo here. Okay, the naming. Later we shall encounter this with Adam's naming the animals, naming Eve. Very important. And then there was evening and there was morning that were delineated, qualified, defined on day one which is the basis of the day. And only at this point, we have the first use of the ordinal second, second day. One more time, one may not speak of the first day. Okay, we have one day, the definition, the delineation. I need to repeat that so that the hearers understand The whole mechanism of creation is in the text, is textual. It's not outside. You take the word create and you write a 15-page paper where you refer most of the time to the Greek philosophers. I mean, you can do that. You have really to submit to the text. And then we have the third day which deals with the earth, okay? One more time, as we shall see in those times, they didn't know that the earth was an orb, a globe, and so on. So please dismiss this understanding and stick with the fact that we are dealing with the earth, which will be soon referred to as something dry or solid, meaning something on which one can stand to exist. Mainly one more time, the human being, the animals, and the vegetation, obviously. So we have 
a lengthy passage from verse 9 till verse 13, where we have very interestingly a description of the making of the earth and its vegetation. Very important to remember that. It is earth as functional from the perspective, obviously, of the human being. So in verse 10, we have God said, let the waters under the heavens. He's not dealing anymore with the heavens. He locked them through the firmament in a place above. But then he goes down and the expression is, let the dry land appear. The translation is of the original Hebrew, which is basically a feminine adjective. Let me take an aside here. In Hebrew and in Arabic, we're used to that. That you don't say or here, sit at my right hand, right hand. You use an adjective by itself, and hand is assumed. And here also, we have the same thing. And the Arabic here is very helpful because we have the same thing exactly as the Hebrew. Hebrew is yabbasha with the definite article, the hayyabasha, the solid or arid in the feminine. And since earth is a feminine noun in Hebrew and in Arabic, then the hearer understand what the reference is to. And until now, in Arabic, we refer to the earth, al-yabisa. This is how we refer to it. Now, this becomes important due to the fact that dry, which is xira in Greek, and notice that xira, it is also a feminine adjective. And in Latin, we have arida, Arid. Very interesting because that word, as we shall see in the rest of scripture, when you have something dry, meaning it doesn't have life. Take, for instance, the dry bones, the dry branches. It needs to be taken care of, to be watered, to become alive. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.